Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Storm King's Teddy, Session 26. How you doing, Kat? Doing well. How are you? Uh, I quit complaining an hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how's your week been? Uh, been a week. Um, you know, it, it was a week, yeah. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. And um, this uh, December to January changeover um, at work's been rough on me, but we're finding the time, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's go over session 26 of Storm King's Thunder. Uh, we've picked up with our characters in the beginning parts of the Eye of the Allfather. That's what it is, right? I believe so. All right. So we had ventured in far enough that we had found um, all the different giant statues, and they all had mithril weapons on them, except for the frost giant statue, which was missing an axe, according to Harshnag. And we kind of fiddled around in that room for a while. Uh, some of the exits of that room were frozen over and we needed to uh, melt the ice. Um, so you and uh, Portia were casting uh, flame spells, right, to melt all these passageways? Yeah, uh, she was casting fire bolt. Uh, bleh, excuse me, fire bolt. And I was casting bonfire. Um, you know, it, it's just cantrip fire spells, fire melt ice, ice covered doorway, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And so there's um, the passageway to the east was uh, an archway covered with um, all the six different runes that denoted the frost giant, the hill giant, the storm giant, all the different ones. And uh, the runes were also made of mithril. So um, I explored the archway a little bit and decided that, uh, just kind of in my, uh, my own mind, I thought I was thinking, well, they all have mithril weapons. Uh, is there a correlation here? Do we need to... Um, you know, wave them in front of the rune or, you know, something, uh, or just, you know, somehow the, each of the mithril weapons would be connected, especially after Teddy mentioned that it looked like the weapons were made and the statues were made in such a way as the weapons could intentionally be removed. Did, uh, did you have any, any ideas on it? Uh, I was probably convincing myself more than anyone else um, that once we found the axe and we put the axe back in the statue that the puzzle was solved. Uh, that's where my mind was going. And um, so, yeah, spoiler alert, when that happened, it didn't work. Uh, so so I, after that didn't work, I was just like, okay, now what the fuck do we do? <laughs> um. So, but before we found the axe, uh, so there's a spoiler alert. We found the axe during this session. Um, we 
ended up finding the axe to the south, melting that doorway and, and going south. But first we melted the one to the north and went north. And there were, it looked like uh, several different corridors with sleeping quarters for the giant monks that lived here. Um, of course, they were all gone. But there was also statues of all the different giants again, uh, real size this time. Um, you know, instead of being towering, oversized versions as we had in the main chamber, these were regular-sized giants if there is such a thing. And, um, each of them was set at, like at the beginning or, uh, the foot of a hallway and all taking different poses and, and whatnot. Um, and ended up, we found that there were traps down each of the corridors, right? Uh, there, if, if, if I remember correctly, I think there was only two giant statues and there was two corridors. Um, I don't remember if there was other giant statues on like the sides or on the, on the corners or anything, but I, I do remember one was a stone giant with his hands out kind of, I think was in like a, a, uh, a sumo position, I think. Kind of like a pushing, uh, like he was going yeah. to push something. Yeah. Yeah. And that was on the lower floor. And then the upper floor had a cloud giant that was looked like it appeared to be uh, in the midst of casting a spell. Okay. I thought um, we found more than that. And and I don't remember finding all of the giant types, but uh, I thought that there were enough corridors that, because after we explored enough, there were no other opponents to fight. Teddy was just like, okay, there's nothing else in here. So we knew where the traps were. And I guess I just assumed that there was one for each, but that could, that may not be the case. We only actually went down two of them, right? Yeah. And I don't know if there was more or if it was just those two corridors, but Um, anyways, there's the lower corridor with the stone giant with the, the, like in a pushing position, like he was pushing something, but there was nothing in front of him. And the one above was a cloud giant casting the spell and you know i i thought when we first got in there i thought it was odd uh to have a stone giant pushing something but it wasn't pushing anything because nothing was in front of it but later on um we did some investigation checks and we found out there was a trap at the very end of the hallway and teddy also said like the hallway was like sloping upwards so i'm like okay uh something's going on here i'm not putting the pieces together but once we figured out um once we found the trap and figured out that this hallway was trapped i'm like okay so this is probably going to be like an indiana jones style ball at the top of the hill rolling down towards us (laughs) and and that's going to be the trap so I, i i was pretty confident in that statement because then it would make sense so you know you trigger the trap the ball rolls down the hill you either duck into one of the the bed chambers or you just keep on running and then to reset the trap the statue comes to life and pushes the ball to reset to the top of the hallway and then resets the trap and then you're back at square one again you know the giant statue walks all the way back down gets in position and then the trap is has been reset 
So the only thing I thought uh, during all of that was, I wonder if there was a window where after the ball had already rolled down, uh, if there was a window where you could get in behind and there might be something in there. But, and I was going to go back and check because uh, I thought, well, maybe this ball, you know, opens up at a passageway or a room or, you know, something like that. You leave somebody outside to trigger it again, and then you go in and explore. Maybe there's treasure, whatever. But um, before um, before I got a chance to go back and take a look, uh, Teddy basically said, okay, there's nothing else to the north. So then we ended up going south after that. Um, but what we oh, yeah. what we did find, though, was uh, when we went north, was that there was a crack in a wall that was opened up big enough for us to go through, but not Harshnag. So Harshnag stayed back with Richter, Scales, and um, the RV. Mm-hmm. And... We all went through there and ended up fighting a uh, series of uh, frost spiders or ice spiders or what were they called? I think they were ice spiders. I think that's the correct terminology. And they really didn't pose too much of a threat to us, did you think? No, I really wasn't worried. Um I don't know if I'm just getting more confident in my role as Tabane and playing with the group and everything. And, you know, we're 7th level, so I got a decent AC, got a good chunk of uh, HP pool and temp HP hit points. So I don't know if I'm just comfortable and I'm confident and, like, nothing really scares me, barring a fire giant, because those things were scary. (laughs) Uh, So... Uh, yeah, the spiders came out and there was like three or four of them in this tiny little um, hallway. And keep in mind too, the map is still huge. Like moving a tile is 10 feet. Um, so the map is still huge. So if these spiders take up four tiles, they're probably like what? It's 20, 40, 40 feet big, large. I don't know. But there was quite a bit of them in here. And I, you know, the first one popped out. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Um, uh, second one showed itself. Cool. You know, uh, you know, I wasn't expecting one to be by itself. Then three and four showed up and I'm like, okay, this, I, this could be a problem. I was, it wasn't like the, the, uh, the, 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 sh- the temple fight with, uh, Zartaxis where we had like six stone giants climbing up the mountain. And I'm like, Oh God, we got to kill these guys. And they're making their way downtown. Um, but it was just a couple of spiders. I mean, the the territory was rough, but again, I I just I wasn't really scared. Um, I I realized they were a threat and they could be dangerous, especially with their opening attack of um of like webbing us and constricting us under some webbing. Yeah, I think that's actually where uh, because we we saw them and they didn't get a um, opening, you know, surprise attack on us. That that helped. And I'm not even saying that they're, um, you know, if they had venom or, um, you know, the the webbing or anything, you know, it could have gone the the other way. But they were they also seemed like they had very few hit points. So I thought they were pretty easy to kill. Yes, that's 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 
yeah, a, a, a decent, uh, more, I'd say more relatively lower AC, probably like a 15 or something. Um, and then, yeah, not very many hit points. I would, I would agree. I didn't think about hit points, but yeah, they kind of went down pretty quickly. Yeah, I thought so too. And uh, you do bring up a good point too. If it was a surprise round, I probably would have been a little bit more worried. But since it wasn't a surprise round, I then was more of just like, all right, yeah, this is just we can handle this. And and we did. So um, we were going through this area, and then uh, who brought up the um, who brought up the webbing that was making up the floor? Uh, that might trigger a, like, uh, you know, bigger mother spider. Who brought that up? Um, I'll answer your question, but then I want to go back real quick. Uh, I think it was Portia. If not Portia, it was Winifred. Um, but I'm, I'm confident in my guess that it was Portia saying that we should probably do some stealth checks because, because early, 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 early on in our campaign, like the first dungeon we went through, we encountered something similar where the webbing was flooring and we got attacked by spiders. So I think she was drawing upon that experience and saying like, Hey, we should do some stealth checks and, um, not, not let our presence be known by stepping on the web and you know through the vibrations waking up the ice spider queen i think it was portia who said that and then it was winifred who like assisted and told us like exactly which steps to make and whatnot yeah and so uh what did you want to go back to um it was nothing serious it was just something that i don't know it never it was an idea i had but never came to fruition but uh, with the spider's opening attack of, like, a, a web shot or whatever, um, Winifred did get attacked by that. And he got, you know, he got webbed on, for lack of a better term. Uh, but it was, like, an AC of 10 and it had, like, five hit points. So it was very easy to get out of. It was probably more of a, of a more of an inconvenience rather than any, uh, anything. So you'd, like, have to waste your your, your action to break out which he did um but what i thought um if he didn't go down that route um i had the idea of doing a green flame blade on one of the spiders and then since my flame can jump from target from one target to another within five feet of each other i was curious to see if i landed my hit on a spider if my flame jump could then hit the webbing that encased Winifred and destroy it that way. That way Winifred could still have his turn and be freed at the same time. But Winifred was ahead of me in the initiative order and he just broke out himself, which then ruined my chance of experimentation. But, uh, and I guess we were at that point far enough back that um, we weren't suspended over a bottomless pit. <laughs> No, we were still in the winding cave tunnels and everything. So, but then, yep. yeah, going fast forwarding back to where we last left off, yeah, the we came to a big open cavern. I think that's the correct term. Um, we came to a big open cavern where the flooring was pure webbing, um, and there was pits underneath us and everything. So, if if anything was set ablaze, you know, 
it'd kind of be like a pitfall trap of sorts. And, oh, uh, this is important while we were um, going through the monk's quarters before we had this encounter. Um, we had picked up a, uh, let's see, what was it? We had, um, we went through, there was a bag that one of the monks had had or someone else had had after they were in there. I got the feeling that it wasn't one of the monks because they said it was, it had been there quite a while, but it wasn't like hundreds of years. Um, but, and what we found in there were, um, three severed preserved by cold mummified drow heads, uh, two male, one female. And, um, one of the males had 10 gold teeth that were each worth a gold note. Um, so you found a carved wooden staff, um, with the, uh, the head looked like a, an elf, a, a good looking elf. Um, we found three dried fish that the cold had preserved six giant beetle shells that we can use as shields. A uh, 200-foot coil of hemp rope uh, sized for a giant, uh, bundled-up tent of drow make, and then um, there was also um, a glowing blue, what we were calling a dagger. It was kind of a shiv that had a teardrop-shaped blade uh, and with a leather hilt wrapping. And it was actually a magic shard of ice with one of the runes from the archway carved into it. And let's see, it ended up being a pretty powerful magic item, but, um, nobody had, I mean, we picked it up, but we didn't, um, have somebody attuned to it or anything. Uh, and then we went through that crack, fought the ice spiders, and then we were headed to... Uh, farther in and then we got to where you were talking about where there was this giant chasm and but it had been webbed level with the rest of the f cave floor but if the webbing burned away then yeah like you said it was going to be a pitfall trap and so we surprised the the queen spider yeah yes um we had to make a group stealth check um, with a high DC. I think it was 19. Um, and half of us had to make it. So pretty much everyone except you and me had to pass a DC because we were not meeting that DC. Unless we had some really lucky rolls. But the, the you and I in heavy armor was, was not making that stealth check. And turns out everyone rolled really good stealth. Except you and I, of course. And I actually we, rolled really good, but then my um, my disadvantage made my roll really crap. If yeah. I if I hadn't had the disadvantage, I would have made it too. Yeah, but with unfortunately, you know, we we brought the party down, but that's fine. Everyone else made their check, and as a group, we were able to get, I think, a turn and a round of surprise attack on the sleeping. Um, Ice Queen Spider. And what was our opening shot? <laughs> was a wall of flame or something mm. akin to that, if I remember correctly. It, it was it was a fire spell. Um, yeah. I was it not a 
Uh, was it not a fireball? It wasn't a fireball because it came from Porsche. Uh, oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, so definitely uh, the, you know, the fire is a good idea for like an ice spider, you would think anyway. Um, but <laughs> we, we had just been told, hey, <laughs> uh, this whole thing could burn away and it immediately caught fire. Uh, did tons of damage to the spider though. The, yeah, the fire I, did. I I do think the um the spider was weak to fire, so doing damage to the spider via fire was the correct choice. Um, because it did like forty some odd damage. Um, but it in turn also lit the webbing on fire, and uh, very quickly the room was going to be engulfed in a fiery blaze of hell so we kind of put a timer on ourselves there but it had done enough damage that um the rest of you guys pretty much cleaned up uh, the spider before everything burned away and Portia then used gust of wind to kind of direct the fire away from where we were in combat and uh, we had seen a um, wrapped up, you know, mummified, you know, basically had spider silk all over it. And so um, not knowing if that was a savable person, uh, Keelan ran over to grab the, uh, the pod and uh, just barely made it out before all the webbing burned away and um, we would have or at least I would have dropped. Um, and, uh, we opened it up and do you remember what was inside of it? We, uh, I know the, I know there was loot in there, but I, but there was some sort of a corpse that had the loot on it. Yep. Um, reading off, Porsche's notes, the cocoon contained a half-eaten body of a Goliath. That's a uh, Goliath, yeah. The potion, a potion of climbing, which I think was frozen over, so it needed time to thaw to be used. Um, we could add a snow cone. Or that. <laughs> uh, and there was a plus one war hammer uh, inscribed on the head with giant runes of strength, power, and devastation. On the pommel is a beautiful sapphire worth at least a thousand gold notes. Um, and then, so we looked over the hammer to see if it had another one of those runes in it, like that little ice dagger did, but it didn't. It just had the runes that you said. Yes. Um, other than it just being a plus one warhammer with a thousand dollar sapphire in it, and also it was said that the if the sapphire was re- removed because it looked like it could be removed from the hammer, that the hammer would lose its magical properties. Uh, ended up being a plus one hammer, warhammer. Um, yep. Which I don't know who took that. I think. Um, I mean. I certainly could use it, but do I want to use it? I don't think so. Uh, nobody uh, spoke up, so I'm assuming I'm still carrying it. Yeah, so I, I don't know if you're going to get some good use out of that, like swap it out for your mace or 
if we're just gonna be like, hey, this is just kind of loop to sell, and we'll just kind of split the rewards and go from there. Or it could, or we might just display it somewhere in like a trophy room or something. I don't know what we're gonna do with it, but well, the only it, problem I wouldn't mind having, obviously, a magical melee weapon. Uh, hammer would be fine, but the issue is that it's a martial weapon, and I, I, I believe it is. You could look that up. It is. Yeah, and I can't, so yeah, I wouldn't be at you know full usability for it. So, and I think Tavane is the only one proficient with martial weapons. So if I don't want it, I don't think anybody can use it. And, you know, once again, uh, maybe I need to keep it on me just so I have a a possibility if we run into a creature that needs a magical weapon to be hit or something like that. But most of the time I'm going to be casting spells anyway. Yep. So. so the... Uh... Fuck, I just lost my train of thought. The, um... Ah, oh, just, I forget it. I lost it. We're done. Okay. We're just wasting time at this point. So, <laughs> so we went, uh, so this, uh, this crack that we were following, it actually had come to a fork, um, and when we took the left fork, that's when we had the ice spider encounter. So we came back to the, the center and then went north, and there was, uh, like, little tiny ice spiders kind of running around, but they weren't a threat. And we found a body that was dying because it was being um, slowly eaten by these little spiders. And uh, it ended up, uh, Keelan went over and um, used Spare the Dying, and then you used a point of your lay on hands to um, save this person, get them woke up. Yeah. I think you were going to cast a cure wounds or a healing word on it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, no, 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 we shouldn't. Like, we don't know who this person is. Like, I'm only bringing them back to life to get, like, see what they know. Um, Like, we could get some information or whatnot. So I'm like, okay, don't use spell slots. I got lay on hands. They just need one HP to regain consciousness. One point of lay on hands brings them back. That does the job. So it'll get everything accomplished without having to spend any spell slots. So, um, and then we found out that this, um, this woman was part of the band that we fought when we very first came in the, uh, came inside the temple and that she had been tasked with kind of skirting the mountain and finding another way in and that she had found this and then been attacked. Um, and we, we started talking and as soon as she brought that up, you know, Teddy said that she had the same kind of clan marking. So I assumed that she was with them. And so I immediately brought brought them up and it went, it went completely sideways from there. Um, without saying that I had killed them or that we had killed them or that it, that they were even dead. Uh, it was just, I guess, assumed and she freaked out and started running and, um, but she only had one hit point and, uh, was it mask that ended up finishing her? Yeah. Um, it, it was a interesting encounter. 
learning that uh, her group and party members attacked us and we kind of slaughtered them with no second thought. And then we find her trying to save her and realizing she's tied with them. So we're just like, ooh. Like, like I even think Lars just went kind of like, I, ooh, uh, like, <laughs> yeah that we just without saying we killed them we we killed them and yeah she freaked out and was running away and max is just like i'm not having that happen and he uh put her back down to put it nicely so it was interesting encounter very awkward but it it, it to me it was just like it just solidified that your actions have consequences whether you know it or not and this just happens to be an immediate response to our actions. So my idea was to let her know that we had met them, that they were dead. And, you know, what were, you know, what were you all here for? Maybe we can help you or maybe we can, you know, recover this thing, get information out of her. And before that could ever develop, it was just like, she's off to the races. Um, but yeah, anyway, um, no love lost, uh, you know, slavers. So, yeah, I am. It's just like, I, I get, I get where you're coming from and where Keelan's coming from is like, you want to help and save people. And, and to an extent you did that, but we just kind of put her back down because it's probably for the best. That sounds very dark to say. But it's probably for the best. I mean, we probably shouldn't even have brought her back to begin with since we recognized the markings on her. But, you know, curiosity killed the cat. And in this case, she was the cat. Curiosity killed the Goliath. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, I think we got a few javelins off of her. Nothing really major, though. And... Mm. They might have been spears because they're big. Yeah, I don't. I don't think much of anything came from that. I think it was just more of a moral quandary encounter rather than a loot encounter. Okay, so then um, I believe it was Lars that ended up uh, at this point um, attuning to that little ice knife. Yeah. Yes, we made our way back to the seven giant statues, um, kind of like the hub area for the this dungeon crawl. Um, and we took a moment to long rest because I think everyone has now uh, come to the point of like, if people are waiting for us, we're just going to go straight to our objective, get it done, uh, because learning from the 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 spare parts dungeon you know if we take our time um and we don't know it people are waiting on us protecting them and we could save some people so i i think if if there's a kind of like a clock we're we're you know ticking through getting through it but i don't think anyone was waiting on us we didn't know of anyone all we had to do was just find an axe so we took a long rest in this hub and at that point um is the 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 ruin of Issei as I believe what it's called, uh, was kind of up for grabs. And it's, and it was more of like, hey, who wants this item um, and get its benefits and whatnot? And, and, and Lars spoke up and took it. And I think um, he transferred the rune 
to uh, a pair of boots, which he could do that to a boots or cloak. And he, he didn't do it on. yet. Or because, well, going it, to. because it takes like eight hours of work. So he wouldn't have been able to get his long rest. Oh, that's right. It's eight hours of active work, so we couldn't have long rest. He couldn't have long rested. Okay. So, but yes, you're right. He could transfer the rune to a cloak or a pair of boots, but just on its own, this thing is actually a pretty powerful item. Um, so, um, it has a ability called frigid touch, which, as an action. You can touch a body of water and freeze the water in a 10-foot radius sphere around the spot that you touched. Once you use this property, you can't use it again until you finish a short or a long rest. Frost Friend, um, you have resistance to fire damage, which that's pretty cool. Icy Mantle, which is, this is a really awesome thing. You can touch yourself or another creature with water on your finger. The water creates an icy mantle of protection the next time uh within the next minute that the target takes bludgeoning slashing or piercing damage that damage is reduced to zero and the mantle is destroyed once you use that property you can't use it again until you finish a short or long rest that's pretty tough you can give yourself complete immunity to the next attack you take in battle um winter's howl uh, as an action you can cast a sleet storm spell with a save dc of 17 you regain this ability after you finish a short or long rest. Once again, these are these are usable on short rests. That's pre- that's pretty tough. Um, uh, so, gift of frost. You can transfer the shard's magic to a non-magical item, a cloak or a pair of boots, and then yeah, like I said, it takes about eight uh, eight hours. Um. And that's actually what the rune was meant to do. So it, it will retain all of the properties that I just told you. But if you put it on a cloak, it becomes a rare magic item that requires attunement. And while using it, you have resistance to fire damage and advantage on dexterity. Stealth checks made while in snowy terrain. Um, the point was brought up that this duplicates one of the abilities that the rune gives you anyway. So... The, you know, getting, um, fire damage resistance again is just fire damage resistance. Um, and then the boots, a pair of boots becomes a rare magic item that requires attunement. And while wearing those, you ignore difficult terrain while walking and you can walk on water. Um, I think that's actually pretty tough. Yeah. And... Going to the cloak, I I think the correct ruling is that it is a duplicate resistance to fire damage. But now it's got me thinking of like, well, what if it's... Ooh, like double- quarter damage? Yeah, quarter damage. Mm, interesting. So, I don't... I, I mean, I think the boots are better anyways, um, because you only get advantage on stealth checks in snowy terrain. Now if the it is resistance quarter resistance to fire damage that might be like the you know like pros cons for an item you know so like you may not have advantage on stealth checks if you're not in snowy terrain but you will always have quarter damage resistant to to fire uh, whereas if you don't do it the cloak you just have half so i i don't know if it will stack or if it is just a repeated uh trait okay 
the practical side of me says you should have spoken up for this mm. and had the boots made, then you wouldn't necessarily um, have to worry about your armor and sinking into the water. Like, uh, like I have that cloak of the manta ray. Um, my thinking is the people in heavy armor might like to have those boots. Plus, you're going to always be up in frontline combat, and you could give yourself that that bludgeon shield. So, or the the uh, ice shield, icy mantle. Um, okay, so that's the practical side of me. However, the, the devious side of me says this item absolutely went to the right person, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> Can you imagine enemies all over the place? And Lars just sets off a fireball, ground zero. Because he's got fire resistance. Oh. <laughs> that would be interesting. And then if he makes his deck save... It would be quarter would damage. Quarter damage. Unless, uh, unless uh, you know... It, 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 the cloak would allow for quarter damage, in which case he'd take an eighth. Oh, <laughs> he could make himself into a mini nuke. <laughs> He's just a walking explosion. Oh, no. <laughs> Lars used self-destruct. Oh, man, he breaks his arm and does a retributive strike. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Now, what type of damage does... does fireball do it's uh 8d6 right no i mean like is it just flat damage or is it like what i'm trying to say is it piercing bludgeoning or no it's slashing because then he could use that ability no it, it, it's none of those it it's zero. fire damage it's, it, it's just flat damage yeah it's fire flat fire damage okay um so <laughs> but still yeah, that would be awesome yeah, that'd be that's a good idea. I mean, limited use cases. Uh, how often? Unless he's just going to like hurl himself into <laughs> groups of bad guys and and detonate. <laughs> I I foresee what's happening is if uh, Lars makes it into boots, is he's just gonna like if we're near a lake or anything like in our travels or encounter. I 100% can see Lars just running on top of the lake and then casting like fireball or psychic lance from the safety of the lake because then no one can touch him other than ranged attacks. <laughs> so, you just see this red bard hobgoblin standing on water like Jesus slinging fireballs. <laughs> red Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, so like I said, I think it would get more practical use if you had boots made from that rune, and because I think you would get uh, more consistent use out of this very very powerful artifact. Uh, but <laughs> just the idea of him ground zero fireballing <laughs> it just cracks me up every time I think about it. Yeah. Uh, so. No, I, I get what you're saying, but I think I personally would feel a little 
selfish if I took this because then I would have like a plus one sword and then I'd have like magical boots and whatnot. So I feel like I would have too many magic items, whereas I, I, other people just don't have magic items. And and then this can also go back to our other our other uh D D campaign where we're high magic, high money, where I don't feel as bad having a magic item because we all have various magic items. Whereas in Teddy's Storm King um D D is new, we we don't have that many magical items. So I would feel bad if I had like more magical items than like Portia or Winifred or even Lars. I don't even think Lars has a magic item other than his bag of holding which is that's actually a pretty powerful item um well yeah i mean as long as as long as the um dm is keeping track of you know uh food and of weights and uh, with gold notes being a thing instead of coin weight um uh, probably it's just done strictly as a uh, mechanical thing so that you don't have to worry about effectively don't have to worry about weight, but um, you know, bags of holding are really important in campaigns where um, you know, you do have to be able to pack enough food and you do have to be able to pack enough ammunition and you do have to be able to carry enough coin and that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, and I will also say that I am probably, uh, well, I am, I'm a big sucker for kind of miscellaneous magic items that are useful more than, uh, powerful. It's hard to pass, pass up a, a an item like th- this one that we found because it is so powerful. Um, but, uh, so far of all the magic items that we have, um, I like my armor an awful lot. Um, but the, uh, the non, you know, something that I didn't buy or fashion myself that we just found, uh, is that rod of, um, uh, the immovable rod where you, where you just put it on a surface and hit a button and it can't be moved. That thing's neat. I like it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I can come up with thousands of uses for something like that. Um, one of my, uh, one of the campaigns that I ran in, it was second edition, but, um, there was a, uh, there was a, there was a magic item that was well suited for my character who was a mage. And, uh, I passed it up to take a miscellaneous magic item called a mirrored spoon and it was one of the one of my most favorite magic items because all of a sudden my mage who had you know a ten strength uh, didn't have to carry rations anymore. I would you know carry a few just because they tasted better, but this spoon all you had to do is put it in a bowl and stir it around, and it would create like this gruel, and it was enough. It was it ta- they said it tasted like wet cardboard, but it was really nutritious, and you it was enough food for three people. Every day, it could make that much. So, uh, I didn't have to carry rations anymore, and it lightened my load by a ton. <laughs> so, and that was one, that was always one of my favorite magic items that I ever found. Um, anyway, so back to this. Um, we did do the long rest, and then we went uh, out of the main room to the south. And 
as we're walking in there, um, we see the axe that we're looking for on the south side of the room, kind of near a fire pit. Uh, torches came to life to light up the room, and uh, I don't remember who saw. Me. Did you? You were the one that saw. Uh, there was a creature that came out, and it looked like kind of a combination cobra centipede. And it was huge, and it went and burrowed under the stone. And we were all like, oh, yeah, I probably don't want to be on the ground when that thing comes back up. So we all started trying to scramble up on the tables. Remind me to uh, to comment back on the opening of this room when we saw that, uh, saw the centipede. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was, okay. Well, um, after session, we were kind of chit-chatting about, you know, whatever, how the session went and stuff that happened during the session. And it, a little, um, peek behind the curtain, that token was supposed to be on the GM layer. We weren't supposed to see that token at all. So that encounter was supposed to be drastically different than how it happened because we were supposed to get closer to it and then it would pop out of the statue and attack us. But since Teddy accidentally didn't put it on the GM later and I saw it and pointed it out, that changed the entire encounter and that's why it burrowed down immediately to get closer to us. That's interesting. Um, so, and I, and I, and you know, which is, that's fine. You know, we're, um, stuff happens like that, but I do think the way the opening of this encounter happened made it easier on us. I think if we all walked up to it and then it started attacking us would have been a completely different story. Yeah, probably. Um, so anyway, this thing, I guess it was resistant to both, uh, fire and ice. Um, but, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't resisted. It was immune. Oh, co- completely immune, huh? Completely immune to, to frost and fire. So, uh, you guys all scrambled up on, uh, tables, you know, giant sized, um, picnic tables. And I just, uh, lifted up both of my arms and Harshnag picked me up and put me on his shoulder again. <laughs> and so I've decided that, uh, he's my new battle platform as long as he's willing. <laughs> Every time that I've been up and, and helping him out, I can, I can heal him. I can, you know, put my spirit guardians out. And, um, <laughs> and so it basically it's like strapping on a, uh, a, uh, uh, mobile suit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um yeah, the when um we first spotted the remoras, it um that's what it's called. Um it burrowed down underneath us and was coming in our direction uh assumingly. And yeah, my first thought and mask even beat me to it. He climbed up on top of the the chairs and tables for the giants and I'm like, you know, that's a great idea because I don't want to be on the floor when this thing emerges. Um, it can probably attack us on the table and chairs, but at least I'm not vulnerable and I can have like some high ground or something, but I couldn't have made it up to a bench 
so I got as close as I could, and then I'm like, listen, uh, Lars and Porsche were near me. I'm like, listen, if you guys want up on top of that bench, I will forego uh, my action to provide aid to get you both up there. Um, I'm like, if you want it, like, I'm not telling you to get up, up to the high ground, but if you want to, I'll, I'll I'll give you aid to get up there. And both of them are like, yep. So we all hopped up on top of the table and through a series of a couple of attacks. Um, and um, we, uh, Portia did a, I think it was Arcana check. I want to say it was Arcana. I don't remember what it was, but she did a check that um, gave her information on the creature we were fighting, which was the Remoraz. And since Lars was holding a Psychic Lance, uh, one of the properties of Psychic Lance is you don't have to have vision of the target for it to land, so long as you know what the creature is. So Portia made a roll. She relayed that information to Lars. Lars then psychic lanced the Remoraz, and I, due to the psychic lance's uh, properties, I think it was entangled for a full turn, which gave us advantage on our attacks. Yeah, and it got like spit out of the ground. Yes, yes, it got un. Uh, it was surfaced, it unburrowed or because of the psychic glance. And and once that happened, we all pretty much just kinda bullied the shit out of this thing. Yeah, it was it was pretty pathetic after that. Uh I mean, it still had a lot of hit points and if we hadn't basically finished it off in that round, it that still could have, you know, put the hurt on some of us. Uh but Arshnag finally got up in into range and um played some damage on it um and you yeah. guys you guys had already been doing some so yeah and i and, and the reason why i think this fight would have been drastically different if um if we approached it and were much closer than what we were is when harshnag attacked the remoras it had like a retaliation ability or something um where it did 10 fire damage uh, on a melee hit yeah, so, so uh, basically because it just exuded this fire, if you were close enough to to hit it, you were going to be damaged. Yep. So and yeah. to to Harshnag, ten damage is nothing, but you know, to us, if we were in melee, um, like all of us could have taken one hit for free because of the temp HP from Tabani and Inspiring Leader. But after that, then it would start chipping into our actual health pool. So, um, fairly uneventful fight with a pretty powerful creature. Um, and, uh, we ended up getting the ax and, um, as soon as, uh, Lars touched the ax, he grew to giant sized so that he could actually wield it. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. That Uh, was a twist. I didn't see coming. Yeah. I, I didn't have any idea either. Um, and I didn't bother to touch any of the weapons when I was in the main room before we went off exploring. Or um, I might have been more adamant about my idea of needing to use the weapons as keys. Um, but anyway, we um, so we went back into the main room and um, we all grabbed a weapon. Um, and I don't remember all of them because I didn't get them all written, but Lars, um, 
got the Stone Giants weapon. I took the Cloud Giants. Harshnag got the Frost Giants. Portia got Hill. I don't remember what Tabane and Lars got. Do you remember? I took Fire, and then that leaves... Stone. No, Lars took Stone. That's who I needed, was Lars. Oh, no, Lars took Stone. No, it wasn't. I needed Mask. Mask Mask then took... Took, 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 Oh, uh, Storm. Yes. Right? Storm Giant. Storm. Storm. Yes. There we go. Problem solved. Okay. Uh, Storm, Storm was last. Um, uh, the reason why I took Fire Giant is because it was holding a greatsword. And considering that if we wielded the weapon, we became giant size. So I thought we were going to have to fight something with these weapons. And I'm like, if well, if I'm going to fight with this weapon, I'm going to take something at least uh, Tavani knows how to use. So that that was actually something that I wondered while we were um, while we were messing with this stuff, because as soon as we touched the weapons, we all grew, including Harshnag, who grew to truly tremendous proportions. Um, I wonder if we weren't supposed to have found the property of those weapons before we went to fight the Ramores. Like that we, and we would have carried those weapons in there with us. I don't know. Um, considering how our fight was, um, different than intended. I don't know if the Ramores fight was supposed to be like, when you get close, it then awakens and attacks you, or if you, or if we could have like skirted around the back, just like completely avoiding it, just grabbing the axe and then leaving, um, and just like skipping that encounter in, in total, uh, if that would have happened or not. But knowing Teddy, I'm pretty sure if we got probably got like if we got close to the Romoras or got close to the axe, it would have awoken and attacked us. I'm pretty sure that's what would have, or yeah, what would have happened. So I, I don't know if we could have found out this ability beforehand and then like grown to giant sized and used these weapons against the Romoras. I don't know if that's the intended purposes or not. Yeah, I don't either. I just wondered um, it, if we kind of skipped a critical step there. <laughs> it feels like we could have because once we all grew giant sized, you this at this point I was thoroughly stumped because we put the axe back in the frost giant's hand and nothing happened. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what the fuck to do anymore. But you t- had the idea to each of us take a weapon and touch it to the room of a the rune, sorry, above the archway and see if that did anything. And that's what worked. So I guess if we had either better investigation checks or if we could have put two and two together and figured out hey we can remove these weapons and use them we we could have figured it out i don't i I don't know how we could have come to that conclusion i mean i'm sure there's a plethora of ways we could have done this encounter and that would be including one of them just it's just how we got there wasn't wasn't the either the way it was intended or the way we were supposed to do it, or I don't know. And and I didn't know it was just going to be touching the weapons um, to the runes, but I, but Teddy made mention that 
they were all mithril weapons and the runes were mithril. And so I figured they corresponded somehow. I didn't know if we just had to hold them, if we had to touch the runes to the weapons or maybe the weapons were giant ass keys and, um, they would have a slot like next to the rune or I, I, I don't know. Uh, but it ended up just being that we had to touch them. Um, and then essentially we were transported, um, into the next room and we saw a, um, oh, the weapons disappeared from our grasp, assuming they went back to the statues and we saw a cloud giant that looked like they were murdered um, and, uh, they had a morning star sitting by them. And when we approached, and this was towards the very end of the game, uh, a, her ghost came up and said that her name was es, is Eskelia, Eskelia, anyway, something like that. It, yeah. I, I'm the worst at pronouncing. And, um... She uh, introduced herself as the oracle to All Father Alron, and um, her words were, "Ask your questions and know the truth." So we basically had uh, a week to come up with questions to ask this oracle. Uh, do you have any yet? No, <laughs> I haven't actually either. <laughs> Work's been murder. Um, yeah. I, I I felt I felt like okay, so we came into this situation slightly beforehand with Zartaxis. Because we were in a similar situation where we ended session and Zartaxis is the sage was like, Hey, you can ask a question and to my knowledge I can answer it to the best of my abilities. Uh I didn't have a question then, but I didn't feel entirely pressured to ask a question. I'm like, okay, so it's very rare you can ask a dragon and a, a knowledgeable dragon for a question and get an answer. But I just was ignorant and had no idea what to ask. And so the moment passed on and blew over. And I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, I'm not going to lose sleep over this. But this, since she's the oracle to the Allfather, now I'm sitting here going like, okay... I should probably ask a question. I don't know what that question is, but if I don't ask a question, I will probably lose sleep over it, and it will bug me, because it's one thing to not ask a question of a dragon, but it's another to not ask a question of an oracle. So, um, it would be... Uh, I think that at least one of us should ask a question about the... Um, titanic relic that we're building you know okay. what what question that is i don't know um you know uh, who has the other pieces or you know whatever um <clears throat> and then you know i i mean i don't know uh, even the right categories to ask him but i think that would probably be one of them you know like um how do we use that relic once if we get it assembled, um, and you know, something like that. Um, I'm, I want, I'm going to want to know something about, um, you know, do they know anything about the, um, you know, the queen being killed and uh, <laughs> who did that? 
<laughs> if you weren't going to mention it, I was. Because the one question I do have is literally going to be like a, a whodunit question. I was going to... If like if I do have a question, and it most likely will be this question, it'll be like who murdered Queen Neri? Like either you're gonna tell me or you're not. Um, either way, we get probably valuable information. It might be like who killed her and how can I prove it? You know, maybe we can get some closure out of that. But you know, asking about the the orrery is a good idea too. I didn't think about that. So um, anyway, that was uh, essentially end of session. Um, we, uh, ended up getting a, um, just getting there right before it was time and ended pretty much right on time. So, um, all right. Um, I think that anything else to, to cover on the, the campaign or anything that we're doing or ideas about what's going on or um i use i will use this term lightly because i'm not i'm a little disappointed the the big encounter of this dungeon was not wielding the axe oh yeah you know i kind of expected that myself i i i was close in my assumption that the axe is in the in the the this place we're in the dungeon, but I was I was thoroughly expecting like a like a like a vagabond frost giant you know like the protector of the axe or something uh, like wielding it and fending us off keeping invaders uh, from entering this place that's what I was expecting, um, but instead we got. We kind of got a, a protector or a guardian of it, but it wasn't a frost giant. It was a remoraz, and um, the axe was just kind of like there. Uh, just to be clear, I'm not disappointed, but I just think it. I just think it would have been a cooler idea to have the, a guardian of the axe or something. Yeah, and you know, that's that's often the case uh, when you're after you know powerful magic items that the boss is the one that you know is using it at the end of a of a dungeon. So um, I I wouldn't have said that um, that you were off base. I I kind of expected that myself. Um, you you just gave me a thought now. Like um, I don't know how this module ends at all. I don't know if there's going to be a grand epic grand finale uh, and we're fighting uh, Queen Neri's murderer or something. Um, but, you know, off the wall, no knowledge of what's going to happen. Uh, I suspect the 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 big bad evil guy of the whole module who we're going to have to fight, which I don't know if this is true or not, he's going to have an orrery of his own and undo one event in our fight with him to give him advantage interesting or something like that that's interesting um and so here's the here's the thing do you think that we have met the bad guy Ooh. i mean or is that yet to come i it um Meeting the bad guy. I mean, watch it be fucking. Oh, God, what's his name? Which one? 
Yorick. Yorick Amanatu. I mean, yeah, what if it's like off the wall, Yorick is the bad guy? Nothing would make me happier. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we have met the bad guy or if we're going to meet the bad guy or if there even is a bad guy at the end of the module i don't think this is like a curse of strahd where you know i've never played curse of strahd but just from the name and from what i know about it obviously the final encounter is going to be strahd himself so it's not like we know who it is and we're gearing up to fight him um so So, but could just be like it like the final encounter could just be a puzzle and we activate the orrery and undo an event or something like that. That could be the end of the module. I don't know. So the but. only reason I don't agree that that could be the case is because there was an assassin. We know she was assassinated, or at least that's everything that we've been told, is that she was assassinated. So someone or some group or whatever, um, or um, you know, maybe it was another giant. Um, there, there is an individual who I'm now uh, remembering. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, oh, go ahead. Um, it could be Cerulean Death. That could be the the bad the big bad boss. Uh, so I w- that was exactly what I was going to say. Actually, not exactly. I hadn't necessarily put a dragon's name to it, but maybe. You know, it was a dragon. If dragons can use magic to, um, you know, change their form to maybe look like small folk and have done it, um, you know, there's obviously friction there between the two. So, yep. yeah, I would buy that for a dollar. Um, but uh, um, the uh, so so going back to to my character. Um, and this is probably, I'm grasping at straws, you know, this might just be like a pipe dream. Well, not really a pipe dream, but you know, it's probably like out there, but we do have this Uber individual still at large. Do I think he has enough street cred or a reputation to kill Queen Mary? From first appearances, no, I don't think so, but he's still enough of a mystery to where I wouldn't discredit him. Or maybe he's like a lieutenant or something. Yeah. Or yeah. Like he's an underling of the big bad guy. Yeah. So I, I don't know. We're kind of like going into theory crafting yeah, which, hat mode right now. Yeah, but that's fine. That's, uh, that's half the fun. Um, okay. So let's get to, uh, your report. Shall we? You don't want to go first? No, go ahead. Okay. So your Eldritch Blast? Uh, we'll start with Eldritch Blast. Uh, total of four castings, uh, two beams each, so eight beams in total. We, oh, I say we, but it's mainly me. I landed five of the eight, um, giving whatever percentage that is for the session. I don't do percentages of the session. But a grand total of um, 27 hits and 13 misses with a percentage of 67. Um, due to our talk earlier before the podcast, math is weird and I lost percentage, even though this session I was above 50% and I did good. You did good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I lost the 69. Nice percentage for 67 
And then apparently I had Green Flame Blade twice in this session. I don't really remember it. Um, and I landed both of those, so up 1% from 63 to 64 with a total of 9 hits and 4 misses of Green Flame Blade. That's pretty good. You can really tell um, which one's my favorite cantrip and which one isn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, I'll forego the uh, ringing of the Hell's Bell um, just because I like this song. Um, so, I through three told the deads hit two uh or they missed their save twice um so 66.6 percent for the session which is way above my average and so i now have 10 hits over 28 attempts which pulls me up to a staggering 35.7 percent so, uh, hey, it's coming up. And also, I hadn't been rolling my extra dice on that. Not that I was hitting hardly at all. Probably deprived me of like three whole hit points of damage. But I have another extra uh, D10 or D12, depending on if the creature is uh, injured or not. Yep. So, uh, anyway, uh, I had fun in this session. Uh, I liked uh, the dungeon delves and we had a couple of interesting fights, um, and uh, the one that actually had me the most freaked out was uh, where I had the potential of uh, falling. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, that uh, see another use for that rod. You know, you stick it to the wall, and you got something to hang on to, or you know, sling a rope around, or something. So, all right, man. Well, um, you have um, anything else for us before we close it out? Um, no, but I do have something a little off-topic that is related. Um, in another campaign I picked up with Teddy, we have a cleric in that group as well. Um, and the session last night, he did Toll the Dead as well and yeah. uh, landed it two for two. Uh, so, so I'm just inadequate. <laughs> <laughs> I never said that, but um, when when he did landed his second one, um, that session, I made a call out or a reference to you in that session. I'm like, in another world, a cleric named Keelan is screaming for joy. <laughs> uh, you know, um, you know, do you know why there's a cleric in your group, too? Because clerics are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this... This one is a Twilight Domain cleric, which is different, but I I mean their kit is I mean it's it's to me it's kind of crazy that I've seen your cleric, which is life domain, I believe. Yes. Um and then seeing a Twilight Domain cleric and how similar but yet vastly different they are. Oh yeah. Um I mean even you know, I reference second edition a lot because that's really where I spent most of my time. Um, you know, there were even differences there. You had quote unquote clerics that were kind of, uh, non-denominational. And then you had priests that had a specific, uh, deity that they, uh, would worship, you know, a God of war, a goddess of healing, you know, whatever. I, I mean, um, or goddess of war, you know, any, it could have been anything, but, 
uh, in a lot of those campaigns. Uh, so a regular cleric has the ability to turn undead or destroy undead. But a priest, if you weren't like a sun, didn't follow a sun deity or a life deity or something like that, you wouldn't have the ability to turn undead. Because, but you might have, like, if you worshipped a war deity, maybe you could berserk or, um, you know, use edged weapons instead of non-edged weapons. Or, you know, there was just different uh, given abilities to all the different, all the different uh, priests. So, um, I think they kind of took that even to the next step in 5th edition. Yeah. So, all right, man. Well, are we ready to call it? Sorry, uh, I kind of had a tangent there at the end. No, that's all right. Um, and we even had our, uh, our, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know what to call it, like our theory crafting yeah. session. Uh, we should we should actually start including that as a segment here, that we uh, as we learn more, you know, theory craft and uh, see what see how things change. So, all right, but. Uh, okay, I will let you get to your supper, get to your evening, and uh, I appreciate you carving out some time. So, um, so until the next time, Cat, I appreciate your help, and we'll talk to you later. <laughs>